and welcome to another episode of Sensational She Geek live from Yancey Street. Today is Monday, October 18th, 2021, and I welcome you to episode 38A. We have some really cool stuff this A episode. Obviously, we'll start off with the news, which is fairly brief, but there's a few notable things we'll be mentioning. After that, we will go into the weekly comic book pull list as we do spotlighting four comics at the front of the pile there, uh, which I will go ahead and tell you what they are since we are spotlighting them. That is Catwoman Lonely City, number one of four, Nubia and the Amazons, number one of six, Phoenix Song Echo, number one of, I believe, five, and Porcelain, number three of five, among other comic book polls. After that, we're breaking from tradition just a little bit, and we're going to talk about forgotten picks, that is, um, several comics that I straight up forgot to read before the Friday podcast episode for this past week. These are comics that came out on the 12th and 13th of this month, just this past new comic book week. Um, And those are a couple of things that I'm going to discuss in varying lengths, just that I forgot. I completely wiped them from my memory um, when I was talking about the picks before, so we will talk about them now. And after that, we have the big, exciting segment of this episode, which is the DC Fandom Recap. We had the DC Fandom online streaming event this past Saturday, and there was a lot. It was a lot of stuff to take in, including uh, what we'll be discussing in most depth will be, of course, The Batman, uh, The Flash, uh, Black Adam, and Shazam! Fury of the Gods. Those are the four that we have the most on out of, I don't know how many, I didn't count how many little discussions we have based on the DC fandom news, but it's all very exciting stuff. And this is definitely not all of the DC fandom news. There's a number of things that I specifically did not include, and there's a number of things that I didn't care enough to look into. So these are the things that are the big hitters from my perspective, um, and the ones that I personally will be looking forward to, and there is quite a lot of it. I definitely feel like it's safe to say with DC, between their uh, HBO Max and other TV shows and their movies that have been coming out, I think that there's they're they're getting up there with the excitement level. Um, I don't expect them to. I don't think it's really fair to compare it to D, to to the MCU just because two completely different animals when you really break it down. But it's getting to that excitement level that people have when MCU stuff comes out, and that's pretty cool to see that they are actually getting a lot of successes in there among the others. <laughs> So that will be a big bulk of the episode, and then we will wrap up this lovely A episode with Doom Patrol, Season 3, Episode 6, which was titled 1917 Patrol. We're mostly covering Rita's part of the episode there, because in my opinion that was the more interesting part. Um, And then we will be... uh, Well, that's it. That'll be the end of the episode, actually. Um, And then we will have our Friday episode this coming Friday on the 22nd. I just had to kick the cat out of the recording room because she was, she had chaos in her eyes. Um, but anyway, 
before we get started here, um, the places you can find me online would be Instagram. My username is Anna with the comics. That is the best place to find me, the best way to get in contact with me. And then you can also find me on Twitter. My username is Savage She Geek. That's where I post any podcast updates. And I do also have my website, which is www.sensationalshegeek.weebly.com, where I post posted for uh, a good long while written reviews and comic book pull lists and pick lists and discussions and topics of interest and things like that uh, before I started this podcast and now I really cover all of that on the podcast. It's less time consuming than writing it all out in a I suppose journalism format um, but, and but because of that, um, those are all obviously still there on my website. I do have my podcast notes, which I make available on my website now, which is the closest thing you can get to those kinds of written discussions. Um, the podcast notes is the thing that I go by. I collect the information through the week and write stuff down that I want to make sure that I remember for the podcast and don't get myself too off track. Uh, and I post this on the website for people who are still looking to want to read more of the news and things um, or for the hearing impaired so they can still keep up with the podcast as well. There's some kind of fun stuff there on my website. You can just poke, a poke, poke around and check it all out. Um, but the page that I probably put the most work into aside from just posting the pod notes, um, really all I've been putting updates on right now because Life is Busy has been my podcast links page for the Yancey Street podcast. And there you can find links to everywhere that you can listen to the podcast, which does include YouTube. I have a YouTube page, which is just Sensational She Geek. Uh, pretty much everything that I have a username under is Sensational She Geek. Um, or something of that variety. And on my YouTube page, I do post all of the podcast episodes in a single playlist in order so that you can get all of those if you've missed any or if you want to go back and look at any. And I has also have a few, a good number, I guess, of action figure review videos. Um, some of the highlights there include SH Figuarts, Dragon Ball Z, and uh, Sailor Moon figures. I have a lot of Marvel Legends figures and a number of um, Hasbro Black Series figures. The ever-popular Coffin Comics Lady Death figure, which I should tell you is an 18 and up video because of her whole look. <laughs> kind of had to do that to protect myself on YouTube. And most recently I have posted the Sentinel, which is the Marvel Legends HasLab from Hasbro. The Sentinel was the HasLab of 2020 and we received ours about a month ago and I was really, really happy to have gotten that finally after a year of waiting. And so my husband and I unboxed that together um, and got our kind of initial reactions to the Sentinel. And then if you have any concerns about things like the knees having issues, I also address that in the video as well. I know I always mention my podcast Patreon, which you can find there under Sensational She Geek, um, but I would also like to add now that I have gotten my kind of my link tree together a little bit better, and I now have um, Cash App, Venmo, PayPal, and Kofi are all linked on my link tree, which is just Sensational She Geek is my link tree. It's really easy to find, and all of this information. Uh, should appear linked at the very bottom of each episode's description uh, because those are while well, sharing the episodes with people to get them to listen with it, listen to it, 
it and get on board with the podcast is the best way to support the podcast survival and viewership. Um, if you would like to go one step further and donate to the podcast, uh, those are all the ways that you can do so. Um, and then donating to the podcast, what that would be would be just to allow me to spend more time working on the podcast as opposed to working my day job which I have to do because of money reasons. So uh, more time I put into the podcast, I'll be able to do things like sound effects and transitions and maybe get somebody to make me a little theme song. I don't know, you know, the options are out there, but I have to have the time away from my day job to do so. Um, and that is where financial support for the podcast steps in. Um, any of that was obviously completely voluntary. I will never be charging for anybody to listen to the podcast. But if you would like to support it through donating, there are those options to do so. I think that just about covers everything for my little intro here. Again, I definitely encourage you to stick around for the DC fandom discussion. We have some really interesting stuff that we're talking about. And if you are a person who is a non-comic book reader or non-DC comic book reader who wants to get into the DC media, but you're not really sure about the topics and about the history of the comics and what stories they're pulling from and stuff like that, I will be covering a good amount of that for the projects which are available. We have enough information to cover from specifically the Batman and the Flash, um, and I guess a good little bit for uh, Black Adam. So those three, we will be going over a lot of the comic equivalencies. Um, so if you have any questions about that or the what, what inspiration they're pulling from, that will all be discussed at that time. As I kind of mentioned, this week's news segment is going to be a little bit shorter, but that's okay. We still have some interesting stuff to mention here. Uh, starting off with the fact that Marvel's January 2022 solicitations are actually not out in full yet. There was just a few teasers that were put out last Friday that I thought was the start of the full thing, but no, that has not come out yet. Hopefully it will be out in time for Friday's episode. Otherwise, I'm sure it'll be out by the coming Monday and we'll discuss it then. But in any case, we will be discussing Marvel's January 2022 lineup and new comics whenever that is all made available. Speaking of Marvel lineups, the MCU lineup over there at Disney Marvel has been pushed back as was announced probably about 10 hours ago this morning. Um, there's been a number of shuffling, uh, starting with movies that were due out next year, such as The Marvels was supposed to be out late 2022, but now has a release date of February 17th, 2023. The third Antimania, Antimania, Ant-Man film, Ant-Quantumania, um, which is set to feature Lovecraft Lovecraft Country star Jonathan Majors as King for its main antagonist has been delayed from February 2023 to July 28th, 2023. Additionally, um, there has been one Marvel project that has been moved forward but does not have a title from November 2023 to March of 2023. Um, and then there were several live action Disney projects that were canceled. 
excuse me, that is actually the directly wrong phrasing. They were removed from the schedule entirely. Um, and then there were two other Marvel projects that were untitled who have also been removed from the schedule entirely. Notably, this means this, or either this does not mean the projects have been canceled, as I slipped up and said before. It means that there is currently no scheduled release date for them. So anything that you were theorizing may be those later Marvel projects. It doesn't mean that they're gone. It just means they don't have a date for it yet. This is all stuff that was pretty far in the future as it is, so in the grand scheme of things, not really affecting too much. And the reasoning for this was apparently not due to any kind of, um, uh, I, I don't know, COVID stuff. It was apparently due to production-based setbacks, which I do have to wonder if it's related to the potential strike coming up in Hollywood. They did come, if you're aware of all that situation, they did come up to an agreement, um, but it looks like the union workers would like a little bit more than the bare minimum that they asked for, as is everybody's right. And um, so they're kind of in a toss-up right now if they're going to accept the bare minimum or fight for more, which will take longer time. But that's just, that's the Hollywood strike situation if you're wondering what's going on with that. Um, other things happening this week of note, Jenny Frizen, you may be aware if you've listened to the podcast for a while, I am a big Jenny Frizen fan. Uh, she does a lot of comic book variant covers for a multitude of publishers, including the big three, as I'm now calling them, um, and other indie publishers. She's become extremely popular very recently um, and has been kind of a uh, up-and-coming popular name over the past, gosh, probably five years or so. Um, but she is putting out a print for sale this week, starting Thursday. It is coming from All Star Press Chicago, who you can contact if you would like to buy this print. You should note that this print is going to be charged for $250, um, which is a lot. And there is a limited edition of 40. The print, I should also note, does feature nudity. There is a female nipple that is showing, so the horror. Um, but it is a Medusa print. She has been doing a lot of Medusa-style art of late. Um, this is her second, as far as I know, professional print done for a character like Medusa. The first one, I am happy to say that I have. Um, it was also limited to 40, but it was $100. So I'm just really grateful that I got on this train as early as I did um, and got a affordable print from Jenny Frizen. I also have, a, I should say, I have two prints from Jenny Frizen. I have her lenticular Wonder Woman print, which was $50 um, because it was kind of a test of the lenticular popularity. I really enjoy it. Um, lenticular or not, I would really enjoy it though. So it doesn't say I don't like it because of that specifically. But those are two really good prints that I have that total amount to $100 less than this one print is going for. So I think, um, well, I hope that that is entirely going to Jenny Frizen herself and not to the printers because this is just, that's the kind of pricing that I like to see when an artist starts getting their supply and demand correct, you know? 
uh, where they start pricing things for the amount of people who are jumping on board, foaming at the mouth, trying to get it. And that's awesome. I'm so happy for her that she's able to price things like that and have them sell. Bit above my budget. $100 is kind of the max for prints for me, um, unfortunately, at the time of my life. So I'm not going to be getting this one unless somebody wants to buy it for me. I'll totally give you my address for that. <laughs> uh, but all jokes aside, um, check it out. It is stunning. Now, I don't have very much news about this. I really just have the headline, and that is that there is going to be a Static Shock animated feature coming out. It is in development with other characters from Milestone Comics. Milestone is an imprint from DC Comics that has a plethora of characters of color, superhero characters of color, I should specify, um, that were, I believe, very popular in the 90s? and have made a resurgence more recently. Um, Static Shock being kind of the headline character of that imprint. Um, so that's pretty exciting that they're going to be doing that. I think there was also going to be some other projects for Static going in. That was possibly a live action something? I'm not sure. Maybe that was a rumor I was hearing that's not true. But anyway, there will be an animated feature. And finally, to wrap up this brief little news segment, uh, Jen Bartel is going to be doing officially the all of the main covers for the 2022 She-Hulk series. I'm not sure how many issues there are going to be in this She-Hulk series, um, but I have a feeling it's going to be a mini or maxi series, not ongoing. We have seen the first cover that she has previewed for that, and it is Jen in a her, uh, I guess it's her, uh, I'm not sure which era suit. <laughs> It's the swimsuit, but it's purple and white. I recognize it, but I'm trying to place it in my head. What, whatever it is, um, she seems to be going back after this real shit red She-Hulk, or rather, what do they call her? They didn't call her Red She-Hulk. They called her the the Winter Hulk. Um, apparently, that's all going to end, and she'll be back to like her classic sensational format, I suppose. We're going to have to play that by ear and see how it goes. But um, with Jen Bartel doing all of the main covers for the series, I'm going to be getting probably two of each. No, I'm, I'm, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, but they all have corner boxes, apparently, which if you've been listening for a while, you know I love a good corner box. So um, super, super thrilled to hear that news and more excited than ever for that She-Hulk series. Which leads us into our comic book pull list for the week. As I stated in the intro, we will be discussing first four spotlighted comics due to their representation they have of, from various facets. And that will be Catwoman, A Lonely City, number one of four. Nubia and the Amazons, number one of six. Phoenix, Echo, Phoenix Song, Echo, number one. And Porcelain, number three of five. Uh, Catwoman, Lonely City, starting off here, is created entirely by Cliff Shang, um, who is an Ameri who's an Asian-American comic artist and writer known for Paper Girls and Wonder Woman, among many, many other things. He is a well-known name in the comics community. This comic is going to be coming from DC Black Label, focusing on Catwoman going on an investigation of her own um, after, well, I'll read you the solicitation here. It says, 
Ten years ago, the massacre known as Fool's Night claimed the lives of Batman, the Joker, Nightwing, and Commissioner Gordon, and sent Selina Kyle, the Catwoman, to prison. A decade later, Gotham has grown up. It's put away costume heroism and villainy and childish things. The new Gotham is cleaner, safer, and a lot less free under the watchful eye of Mayor Harvey Dent and his Bat Cops. It's into this new city that Selena Kyle returns, a changed woman, with her mind on that one last big score. The secret's hidden inside the Batcave, but she doesn't need the money, she just needs to know who is Orpheus. As a big fan of Catwoman and of Catwoman miniseries, the uh, Mindy Newell 1989 Catwoman original series is one of the um, more artistically brilliant um, Catwoman stories I've ever read, if not the best. Um, so I'm kind of hoping that this will fall along the same lines of being, I don't want to say darker and grittier because we all know what we feel when people say that. <laughs> um, but I suppose, well, it's a, it's, it's a Catwoman story without Batman, which is going to be really interesting. Um, well, post-Batman, I suppose, would be more accurate there. Um, and with Harvey Dent as the mayor, is he Two-Face? Is he evil? Um, and the Bat-Cops, it says they've, they've put away costumed heroism and villainy, but Bat-Cops certainly sounds like costumed government employees to me. Um, but I guess we'll just have to wait and see. But this is a very intriguing plot in a very intriguing world um, written by a fantastic um, East Asian American creator. So I am very, very excited for Lonely City. Nubia and the Amazons kicks off this week. This is one that we have been looking forward to for a long time. Um, just to give you some history on this particular series, Post-DC's Future State event, Wonder Woman went off to... She disappeared for a little while. Doesn't really matter what she was doing, in all honesty. Um, but since she was gone, her mother, Queen of the Amazons, Hippolyta, now this was a little bit weird, she decided that she needed to go fight in Diana's place for man's world. That's completely against Hippolyta's character in every sense of the term. Um, but it, whatever. So she did that. Um, but that made room for there needed to be a new queen of the Amazons. And guess what? Fucking what? They made it Nubia. That's pretty cool. Now let's talk about Nubia. To give context, if you're unfamiliar, Nubia is a black Themyscirin character. Um, I'm going to read you the little blurb from Wikipedia because that was the easiest way to summarize her entry to the comics world. I did mess put in my own stuff here a little bit, but it's originally she was Wonder Woman's long lost sister um, and she has since variously been presented as a non-sibling of Amazon contemporary or a non-sibling Amazon contemporary of Wonder Woman, a parallel universe version of Wonder Woman, and as the inheritor of the Wonder Woman mantle in the future. After DC Comics rebuted its continuity in 1985 with Crisis on Infinite Earths, Wonder Woman and her supporting characters were reimagined. Though originally absent from this revised mythos, the character, who was rechristened Nubia with a 
uh, apostrophe between the U and the B, would be reintroduced to the Wonder Woman canon in 1999 by Dozel Young and Brian Dinham in Wonder Woman Annual uh, Volume 2, Number 8. She was originally created by Robert Kaniger and Don Heck in 1973. Kaniger had previously written Wonder Woman for nine years and then left to work on other projects. He and his then-partner Heck created Nubia in his first issue back on Wonder Woman in 1973 in issue number 204 as part of their one-year stint together on the, as a team on the book. Uh, and so historically, Nubia is technically DC Comics' first black woman superhero character. Although, interestingly, that's a distinction that is often given to the Teen Titans character Bumblebee, who appeared three years... Oh gosh. That's not right. I put the wrong date on here. I said three years later. That's not right. I put 96. It's 76. It is three years later. 73 to 76. Um, but I wrote 96 in my notes because I'm stupid. But anyway, Nubia is a very important character, and the fact that she has been brought so thoroughly back in to the Amazonian mythos now is very satisfying. And she's the new queen of Themyscira, which is also super cool. We'll read you the solicitation here. It's not very long at all. With the unexpected arrival of new Amazons, our hero is forced to reckon with her past and forge a new path forward with her sisters. Little does she know, a great evil grows beneath the island, and it's up to this former guardian of Doom's doorway to unite her tribe before paradise is lost forever. That's a pretty straightforward plot. You can see she's going to really firmly have a, um, a really solid path that she's going to need to follow as the leader of the Amazons. So she'll definitely have her chance to make her mark on the whole DC universe. And, you know, that was something I forgot to put in the news. We do have the Trial of the Amazons event, which is happening from DC Comics starting in February of 2022. And that is an entirely Wonder Woman-centric event. Apparently the first one coming in 30 years for DC Comics. Um, so that's really exciting. I know they had said that Death Metal was going to be a Wonder Woman event, two issues in, we could easily tell that was not the case. That was just bullshit. Um, Trial of the Amazons, though, kind of hard to guess or to assume that that's not going to be Wonder Woman based. So I'm very excited for that. Nubia is obviously going to be a big part of that as well as, um, let me think, as well as uh, Yara, Artemis, and Hippolyta, and of course, Diana. So that's a good little group that we're going to have. Um, and I am pumped to find out what the heck it's all about. Phoenix Echo Song. Oh gosh. Phoenix Song Echo <laughs> number one kicks off this week as well. That is a, I believe, five-issue limited series coming from indigenous creator Rebecca Roanhorse and Luca Maresca. Um, Maya Lopez is Echo. She has been in the news, in our news, quite a bit recently because she has been um, cast as a... I suppose main-ish character for the Hawkeye TV show that's starting 
the end of next month. How exciting. And is supposedly getting a spinoff show of her own from that. Um, she is kind of a fan favorite character who is a deaf street fighter. She has, um, well, she had a father who was tied into a lot of New York mob stuff, got into it with Kingpin and ended up dead due to Kingpin. Um, however, Kingpin made it look like Daredevil killed her father. And so when she's first introduced, it would appear that she is kind of a villain for Daredevil. Um, but that ends up getting all straightened out in time. She's got a pretty cool, um, first three or four issues that she appears in. So if you ever want to check that out, I definitely recommend it. But this Phoenix series or this Echo series is picking up because Echo is now the Phoenix. Of course, the Phoenix, you know, most likely as being partnered with Jean Grey of the X-Men, and that is its most famous iteration. Um, and now the Phoenix has chosen as its host, Maya Lopez. So, um, very interesting potentialities could come from this. Um, and I'm pretty excited about what all of that could mean. Plus this is an indigenous American woman who is now, um, uh, we could probably argue, honestly, we could probably argue that the Phoenix force, I mean, they do that whole Avengers a million BC or whatever it is thing. And the Phoenix force was there and, I feel like it's appropriate for an indigenous person to have that, is what I'm saying. Um, but here's the solicitation for it. It's not too long. It says, Against all odds, one of the most powerful entities in the Marvel Universe chose Maya Lopez, a deaf street fighter, as its new avatar. And the burning question on everyone's minds is why? But Echo is the last person to answer, still learning her new cosmic abilities and struggling with the Phoenix's overwhelming personality. Echo strikes out on her own to return to her roots, but the reservation has even fewer answers. Where And where power goes, evil follows. Someone wants Echo to fail and unleash a power only the greatest heroes in history have been able to control. Rounding out our spotlights comes Porcelain number three, which is of five. Porcelain is another creator-owned project coming from, and only from, the great and wonderful Maria LaVey. Um, some of the projects that LaVey has worked on that did very well that are not just her own projects include Faithless and Faithless 2, um, which were both written by Rick Remender. Uh, that's incorrect. It was written by Brian Azzarillo. Um, even better. But... <laughs> um, Really great stuff coming from her. She She's done a handful of creator... Well, uh, a handful of things that are it's, that are written and drawn by herself, including really, really fantastic series. Luna, um, just remarkable art and symbolism and really, really just awesome stuff with that. So Porcelain is another series that she is writing and drawing. Um, it is about this young girl, Beryl, who went off to get groceries basically in this kind of what appears to be kind of Mad Max apocalyptic universe. Um, and she goes off and she ends up getting trapped in this creepy little dollhouse, which is run by a designer who is gonna steal their body parts. Something like that. <laughs> Very haunting, very Alice in Wonderland, lots of dolls and 
twine and things hanging from the ceiling and just generally kind of creepy stuff like that. Um, and Maria LaVey does such a fantastic job with drawing disturbing scenes of dolls and doll parts. <laughs> Uncannily good. <laughs> uh, the solicitation is just two lines here. With her new ally, Axel by her side, Beryl ventures deeper into the doll into the nightmarish dollhouse. As they travel along, they are faced with sad realities and horrors that neither are fully prepared to encounter. Things may seem hopeless and they descend and they descend further and further, but at least they have each other. This is coming from the publisher Ablaze, which is a publisher that LaVey has put out a couple of things with, including Eros and Psyche, which completed a few months ago, and I also recommend another uh, cool trippy story from LaVey, because that's what she does best, and I will always support those comics from her. We're going to kind of tear through the next, uh, the rest of the comics pull list pretty quickly here, uh, including Eat the Rich number three, X-Men 12, Magneto number three, Not All Robots number three, Batman Catwoman number eight, Thor number 18, and Catwoman number 36. So Eat the Rich number three, this story is by Sarah Gailey with art by Pius Back. And it is a fascinating story that reminds me, honestly, a lot of the similar themes that you find in Squid Game. If you have watched Squid Game, Eat the Rich has somehow a similar vibe. And I feel like if you're reading the series and you've seen Squid Game, you probably know what I'm talking about. Um, I hope this isn't going to ruin your experience of reading it, but basically what's happening here is this young woman has gone to her rich boyfriend's family home to discover that all of their help, their butlers, their nannies, every single one of them in this rich community, not just his family, the whole community, signs a contract where when they retire, their life is over. But they get loads of money in the meantime so they can solve all their problems. Um, but then you gotta die when it's over. <laughs> um, really interesting concept. Uh, speaks a lot of morality and, oh gosh, debt. <laughs> um, but I really enjoy it. And the last issue ended with what appears to be the girl's I guess she would think of it as future mother-in-law. It's her boyfriend's mother. Um, pretty much catching her having discovered all of this. And now they're going to have a nice private chat. So I'm very curious to see how that's going to go. X-Men Trial of Magneto number three. This is by the fantastic queer team of Leia Williams with Lucas Wernick. Phenomenal. Maybe I should have spotlighted this. It really doesn't need to be spotlighted. It's pretty dang popular as it is. Um, I think at this point we all know that this is not an actual trial that Magneto is being put on. Um, there is no judge, no jury. There is not anything like that. This is more of a trial in that trials and tribulations kind of sense. Um, where he and Wanda, at the very least, the both of them, are being put through something someone is trying to teach them a lesson in a cruel way and we're yet to find out what that is but that is the trial that they are going through um issue number three comes out this week with some really great covers 
I personally really, really want to get the Peach Moko Magic cover because I'm a really big fan of Ileana. Um, so definitely check out this issue if for nothing else for the beautiful art. Also, I know the last time we had one of these issues come out, there were a fair amount of discrepancies in the art and in even some of the text. Um, it was a little bit odd. It was a very rushed issue. Um, so I'm very curious if this one is going to kind of have the same rushed vibe. Not All Robots number three of five comes out this week from Mark Russell and Mike Deodato. Really, really excellent team. This is being published by AWA Upshot. If you've ever wondered, AWA stands for Artists, Writers, and Artisans. Um, this is a really fun series. This is only uh, two issues in from what we've read so far, and I am really excited to find out um, how this is going to hit the fan. Um, the it's I'm not going to read you the whole solicitation here, but basically it's 2056. Robots have replaced human beings in the workforce, and there is an uneasy coexistence developed that has developed between the newly intelligent robots and the 10 billion humans that live on Earth. Every human family now is assigned a robot upon whom they are completely reliant. The robot does the work, the robot makes the money. They are basically the robot's pets who run the household. The robots just work on behalf of them. It's really interesting. Um, <laughs> they all have their own names. This one, uh, who is with the family that we follow here in the series, the Walters, is called Razorball. And where we ended issue two was the robot revolution and the human revolution are kind of striking at the same time. That can only end in pain. <laughs> Batman Catwoman number eight comes out this week. If you need an explanation on Tom King's Batcat relationship as it has been set up through a number of different publications, not publications, but different publications, is that right? Not publishers, publications, yeah, whatever. Number of different comics. Um, you can go see reference episode 20A, uh, that podcast that I posted back then, where I go over in depth everything you need to know to understand what is going on in Batcat, Bat in Batman Catwoman, and to understand the whole relationship as Tom King has written it thus far. Um, this issue is number eight of 12. The annual that we were supposed to be getting, which is really a special, um, has been pushed back. I think now it's supposed to come out in uh, September originally, and now it has been pushed all the way back to January. Last update was December. <laughs> so hopefully we will get it this time in January. Um, at least it's not getting pushed back uh, the week that it's supposed to be coming out, I suppose. This series is by Tom King. The art was by... Uh, Clay Mann and has moved to Liam Sharp. I hate to say it, but that does take a little bit away from the series. It's not the changing of the art that threw me off. It was the changing of the art to the, again, it's, it's going to say the cliche thing, the darker, grittier Liam Sharp art. If you've ever seen Liam Sharp art, the best the series Batman Reptilian is about a brutal reptile of some sort slaughtering the villains of Gotham. It is gothic. It is 
oil-painted, greasy streets and broken noses and, you know, bloody skin and texture and, and rain and darkness. Batman Catwoman series so far has not been that. Um... Clayman's art was so fitting because this story is at its core a story of their relationship. That's why it's called this. Um, so I struggled a little bit in the last issue with Liam Sharp coming on to, for art. Hopefully this issue I will feel a little bit better about it. Um, I feel terrible even saying anything about it because I love Liam Sharp's art. Just in this context, it doesn't quite fit. Thor number 18, um, I was fully prepared to completely drop the Donny Cates Thor until the last issue or two. <laughs> um, but that's a good thing, right? That means it's getting better. Uh, this issue is going to be focusing on one of my absolute favorite Marvel characters, Throg. Now, I would like everybody to just note here, Throg is not Frog Thor. There is another character that was back in the day that was Frog Thor. It was Thor changed into a frog that happened for one issue or maybe two issues. I don't recall. I have them, but whatever it is. Um, Throg is a frog who gained the powers of Thor. Well, he was a man turned into a frog who then gains the powers of Thor. Um, it's really cool. But he is going to be apparently the main focus of this issue, so I am a sucker for that shit and sign me up. Um, this is... Thor is apparently sending Throg on a top mission that only he can carry out. Throg, the Frog of Thunder. Guest artist Pascal Ferry makes a return trip to Asgard for this unique tale of otherworldly espionage, one that will have a profound impact on the future of the Marvel Whatever, they always say stuff like that. And finally, the last pick, Catwoman number 36. Once again, I am not a big fan of Rombie's Catwoman, specifically his portrayal of Selina. I don't think it quite fits. I'm going to just call that editorial's fault because I like his other writing. Um, I was going to drop this series when Jenny Frizen stops being a variant cover artist, and she she's still doing it through January, as far as I know. Um, but Rom V is actually switching off of writing, and we're gonna have Teeny Howard writing this now in January. Um, so I'm probably gonna keep this even when Jenny Frizen stops doing variants, because uh, I like it, Teeny Howard. <laughs> And this is, that's going to be cool. But anyway, um, Poison Ivy has been a part of this plot in a long time. And so, of course, next podcast episode, we will have a hashtag Poison Ivy Watch update. As this solicitation says, as Ivy senses Queen Ivy's presence and her behavior becomes increasingly erratic, Catwoman decides that she is too vulnerable to keep in Alleytown and to play in this hatch to get her out of Gotham. But to do it, she's going to need the help of the Riddler. But even after Selina saved him from certain doom, can he be trusted? Meanwhile, the flickering assassin known as the White Witch, flanked by magistrate soldiers, has arrived to return Selene, to return Ivy to, same, to Simon Saint. Harley Quinn and the Gardener join the fight against White Witch and the magistrate also featuring ghost maker. So this is a 
technical Gotham City Sirens reunion. I believe the next issue of Harley Quinn will also be that. Um, so I'm really looking forward to that. I'm excited to see Ivy, her journey continuing into whatever direction that it is. God, I hope it is not into heroism because that just does not make sense for her. Um, but yeah, I love Poison Ivy and I'm really happy that this Catwoman series is probably going to be getting better in January. We're going to go over the comic book picks that I left out of last week. So these are things that came out on the 12th and 13th of October, starting off with Strange Adventures number 12. This was the finale issue of the Tom King, Mitch Garrods, and Evan Doc Shaner series that has been really, really great. I have yet to find Tom King stuff that I dislike. Um, there was so much to be said about this issue, but I literally just have done the minimum because I don't want to make, I don't want to like spoil it for you, I guess. <laughs> I'll be spoiling it in parts, but like, I, I want you to get the whole feeling of the issue um, yourself because it was really good. Um, the So Alana and Mr. Terrific go to the space meeting with the picks. Um, of course, it turns into a all-out gunfight, <laughs> and in the middle of that, Mr. Terrific actually says, I think this is going better than I expected, <laughs> which is funny because of a lot of reasons you gotta have been reading the series. Um, Adam is apparently now dead. I think Ali, I think Alana killed him. <laughs> Aaliyah has been saved from the picks. Um, she is going to be living with Mr. Terrific on Earth while her mother Alana goes between Ran and Earth as the Princess of Ran and the mother of Aaliyah, the Woman of Two Worlds, which is exactly the title that her husband had, the Man of Two Worlds. Poetic justice. Um, what I really, really enjoyed, probably the biggest takeaway of the final issue for me, besides the Woman of Two Worlds switch up, um, which to me feels like a big deal. The first issue, um, as we, as we start this, this whole series, you see that the Mitch Garrods art is what you might call the current timeline the current, yeah, the current timeline. And the Evan Doc Shaner art is flashback to the war on Ran and how all that goes. And so it continues that way through all 12 issues, um, showing relevant parts of the flashbacks as we continue through the modern story. This, the first issue started with Mitch Garrett's with a modern current art, um, current timeline, where Adam Strange is starting his first book signing. And when we finish this issue and the flashback Shaner art at the end finally catches up, it is Alana finishing writing her husband's memoir and him going to the first signing. And so you go full circle with both art styles telling the full story together really cool in my opinion um it's kind of a fun twisted way of telling a story but it's kind of genius um and i, I really really dig this vampy verse number two came out last week um the relevant information is that bloodwing who is the vampirella who's going around killing the other vampirellas she is a vampirella who had to marry dracula in her universe um so that sucks <laughs> 
and the universe that we got spotlighted this week was one where uh, everything was full of chaos. Basically, it was a Mad Max world of zombies and monsters. Iron Man number 13, I continue to read just for Patsy. She had a few nice moments in this, um, including being a part of the team Space Friends. <laughs> but uh, other than that, the issue, honestly, I don't give a shit about Iron Man. So it's a bit meh, uh, but it is by Christopher Cantwell and Kafu, who I know some people really hate his art and some people really like it. It's funny that there is no in-between. Avengers number 49, I'm reading to keep up with what's happening with Jen. I guess now they're trying to say that she chose to do all this stuff when I just, I got issues with it still, but this still sucks. I'm not even going to address it more than that. The only, thing else, the only thing I'll say about it is that it now makes even less sense to call this shit World War She-Hulk. Uh, Maneaters the Curse, number four. Again, this is the greatest creative team in comics that I have ever encountered, and you will never change my mind about that. Uh, in this issue, the character who we know, of course, Maud, she takes the shrunken campers we found in the last issue to what is known as the mother tree of the island, which she sees has been uprooted. They climb down deep into the caves below the tree to find the mods that feed off of the tree's magic and use that to get the campers to full size again. Then they are all chased out by giant frogs, but are saved by more of the moths. As always, there is fabulous fabulous work on the extra material in the comics, such as fake in-world ads and camper projects at the back of the issue that are interactive. Finally, Superman and the Authority number four is the last one that I forgot to talk about last week. This is the final issue of Superman and the Authority and the last issue by Grant Morrison at DC Comics. Um, we start off with Lois showing up to save Clark from the ultra-humanite. It's very simple. She's been researching the House of L to find out what's up with him and his power loss, and she still calls Clark Smallville, even after being married for so long. Makes sense. Uh, Clark says that he knows someone did this to or rather for the ultra-humanite, so he looks into it and discovers that it was, as he thinks, Brainiac. Midnighter and Steel fight a character, Iron Cross, who is a, uh, a white supremacist, so that's fun. Um, uh, Manchester Black gets super smarty pants on him until, uh, distract him until Steel can smack him once really, really good. Uh, and then, and then Midnighter says, Iron Cross, meet Steel Toe Caps, and literally kicks his head off. Um, these guys, they really were having way too much fun. It should not be allowed. And of course it would be those two getting along. <laughs> uh, two more villains end up attacking them. They are all sent by Brainiac now. Everything is clear. Uh, Steel breaks, or Steel's enemy breaks her suit, saying that she is nothing without it, so Steel abandons it midair, and Tony Stark MCUs into a new one while she falls, um, while she falls to the sky. And then next you have Coldcast against Manchester Black, who informs, uh, he, he has to tell Coldcast basically that he's on a team with a white supremacist and they have a whole back and forth about it. Apollo uh, goes to fight 
the mech woman character who is looking for the same person that he is, Leah, who is Light Ray. He finally gets her to listen. Leah has been taken by Eclipse, who Apollo and Enchantress go to stop. Superman continues to communicate with Brainiac, telling him to make his next move. They do their hurl back and forth. Midnighter tells um, uh, the the lady who he's going up against, if I wasn't married and gay, I'd marry you just for the fights. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. And it ends with the team all going to War World with Superman to free the world, I guess leading us to where we saw him in Future State. However, the primary mission was to protect Leah, who is Light Ray. Superman has a piece of the source wall called the Hand of Fire in his cave, his cave of wonders. Uh, it spells out communications directly from the source of all creation. If you're familiar at all with um, the metal era of things at DC, you know what I'm talking about. Um, and he says that for the past week, this wall has been repeatedly writing the message, Light Ray is. Um, if you're confused by this, Darkseid is basically the closest thing to the devil they have in the DC Universe. And Darkseid says this thing, Darkseid is, which is basically just... I mean, he, it's not necessarily him that says it, it's, it's said about him. Because he is. He is he is never not. You can't end him, you know. He is. He is he is Omega. He is the final, you know, he has his Omega symbol on him. He he is the end of all things, you know, he is the, the coming storm. You get what I'm trying to say here. I think I've gotten across. Um about the Superman and Theority series. I really enjoyed these four issues. They were highly enjoyable and entertaining. And apparently Morrison actually wrote all of this some years ago, but they decided to edit it to fit into the future state plot. It was originally going to be a standalone story, but was tweaked to be a part of something bigger. And there are going to be other um, issues and series coming out of this uh, and going forward for these characters and the events that they're doing um, as we go forward in our comics history. And now we get to the main event, and that is DC Fandom. They had their annual, their second annual event virtually this past Saturday. Um, it was kind of an all-day catch-it-when-you-can streaming thing after the original live stream at the front, and there was a lot to take in. Just to give you some idea of the coverage we're going to be going over here, we're going to start off with a pretty long blurb on the Batman, and then going into uh, equally long on the Flash. Then we talk about Black Adam, Shazam, Fury of the Gods, and then some shorter segments on Aquaman 2, Batgirl, Blue Beetle, Legion of Super Pets, a couple other projects, uh, Batman Caped Crusader, the Catwoman Hunted movie, some bit of the Sandman information, and ending things off with Naomi. So up there at the start of that list, and before I get going with this, Every one of these topics, well, specifically the first three going up through Black Adam, I'm going to be discussing the comic book inspirations and sources for a lot of this, uh, these characters and these storylines. 
so that if you're not familiar necessarily with DC Comics, but you would like to get into this material with a little bit of the history and knowledge behind you, you will be able to do so. So kicking this off with the Batman, we got a full trailer for the Batman. This first trailer, well, the first trailer that we had came out a year ago during the 2020 fandom, and it's taken another year to finally get a good look at this, again, darker, grittier, um, and serial killer take on the Dark Knight mythos springing from inspirations like The Long Halloween, coming from director Matt Reeves, and scheduled to come out on March 4th, 2022. That's less than six months away guys that's is, we're getting we're getting there It'll, it's gonna happen it's real this movie we know obviously stars um robert pattinson as bruce wayne slash the batman what an arc he's had as, a, as an actor <laughs> uh, but also stars paul dano as the riddler which um just a quick sidebar i think it's real interesting that we've seen um, villain arcs or villain backgrounds, villain stories going from, you know, like 10, 20 years ago, big buff, you know, angry buff guy is the villain, um, overpowered, you know, blah, blah. blah. And now we're seeing like, oh yeah, it's this, this scrawny nerd who's just like super into tech. Just thought I would stop and note that real quick how villains have evolved in media. Anyway, um, Zoe Kravitz as Catwoman and a truly unrecognizable Colin Farrow shows up as crime boss the Penguin, though I have to ask myself if he's even going to go by that name yet. On the other side of things are Jeffrey Wright as Commissioner Gordon, who I have no doubt will totally kill it, and Andy Serkis as the faithful, bu faithful butler Alfred, who looks pretty amazing in his costume and sounds fantastic as well. Interestingly, I have to note, a lot of articles are lumping Catwoman in with the villains, which I wonder if that's how things will even end up playing out. Is she in league with these other villains, or is she a thread of her own that he follows? I have no doubt by the end of the movie they will know each other's identities. That seems pretty easy to guess. We finally got to see Selena Kyle in her Catwoman outfit, as well as a bit more of the crisis in Gotham that Batman is facing. It also seems like the movie will have the Joker in jail already or something. Um, we got our first look at Andy Serkis as Alfred. I also have to note that when we see him, he's got some fresh looking scrapes on his face, making me wonder if this will be the badass Alfred of our dreams. Uh, maybe following what the Pennyworth show is doing with him, supposedly. I don't actually watch that. We also get to see some brief clips of the street-level muscle car spin of the Batmobile, which I am really looking forward to. To be honest, I always enjoy new takes on this particular car. I think it is always great to see the designer's creativity and originality in their original design, in their own original design taste. There is a quote from Robert Pattinson at the DC fandom. He says this version of Batman, quote, doesn't have as much control over his personality. The delineation, the delineation between when he's Batman and when he's Bruce is not so clear as other iterations. I kind of really like this idea. It's a little bit out of control. He hasn't completely defined what Batman is, but he gets lost in it. Whenever he's putting on every other night, he's not sleeping and he's becoming this quite 
this quite sort of odd creature, which you can totally see just knowing Batman's history. And Lord, looking at that trailer, those Bat-Cat vibes. There is one particular frame that sparks so, so much joy, uh, looking just like a clay man panel from one of the um, Bat on the Cat, Bat and the Cat on the rooftop in the sunset. Oh, it's so good. Um, and on that note, I gotta say, Robert Pattinson said in searching for the character, of Bruce slash Batman, he was reading a lot of Tom King Batman, which had apparently been coming out at the time. I am going to be so happy if they push that romance real hard. We already know we're going to see Selina in the cat ears, uh, mask, uh, beanie thing, and leather jacket like in year one. So that, with our Pat saying that he read a lot of Tom King Batman, makes me very hopeful that this um, that, that, that his influence in a romantic Batman will be clear. Um, <laughs> I'm excited. One thing that I'm kind of theorizing is Selena is going to see Bruce, um, basically she's going to see that he's on a suicide mission, um, to end whatever it is that's going on in Gotham, and she's going to have to question her own agenda and her own ideals to decide if she's going to help him or, or save him or force him to grow past all of this on his own, whatever the case may be, anyway, um, his lack of self-preservation will no doubt end up drawing her in. There's even a brief moment in the trailer where she witnesses him wailing on somebody and is clearly a little bit horrified by it. It's going to be a complicated relationship no matter what, um, and I don't really think it w the the woman saving the man will really fit um but isn't it nice to have that turned around that way so often we get it well now i'm eating my words that i think about it longer ignore that um i just think it's really interesting how they're setting up the relationship and i'm so excited um the the selena that we're going to be seeing in this movie she has the modern short hair from the comics and she wears a lot of wigs which is just like her to do and I love it. Some article I saw called her out or, or yeah called her out for looking brooding um, in that first image we see of her but I think that's just a really bad take on her seductively dark eyes and pouty lips which together with the rest of her makeup um put together a completely different kind of image than brooding. That's Bruce's job. Plus, she is chewing gum in that image that they're talking about. Chewing gum isn't brutish. It's impossible to brood while you chew gum. It's sassy, if anything. <laughs> the Penguin, or rather Oswald Cobblepot, as I believe he's probably going to be more often called, is getting a spin-off TV origin as the Penguin makes a lot more sense now after we've seen this trailer, he clearly is not the renowned Batman villain, the Penguin, at this point of his life or career. He is some kind of Gotham mobster, and based on the trailer, probably the closest thing that you can get to a 1940s Rat Pack gangster in modern-ish day Gotham. Um, seeing that little bit of his character, I can already tell they're going to build him into a twisted, darker version of what we're going to be seeing in the Batman, and it makes a lot more sense about the show now. 
Other things that we've seen in the trailer uh, include, as I mentioned, the Joker possibly being in jail. We have an apparent Joker gang, dudes wearing clown masks and makeup, which me, which leaves me very excited uh, and hoping that we're going to learn the why behind all of that. What is the history with the Joker? Uh, the Riddler gets arrested in a cafe, no doubt on purpose. The bat signal goes on and Batman tells Gordon that he isn't just a call or it isn't just a call, but a warning. You know, classic deep Batman shit. Bulletproof armor, standard. Bringing dudes to the brink of death before you stop beating on them, standard. I had to rewind a couple of times and then put on captions on freaking YouTube to figure out what it is Batman said to the Riddler in the visitation room. I All I heard was, <laughs> every single time. I had to put on captions to see that it was, what have you done? He's clearly very angry um, and probably losing it a little, which love to see it. Um, we also have Bruce in a room, no doubt forcing himself to figure out the mystery, uh, surrounded by books and writing on the floor. The writing includes, uh, it says, no more lies, Colson. And then it says, sins of my father, which is circled. And then it says, savage, renewal is a lie, Mitchell. Um... I don't know what a lot of that is, but some sparks a light of knowledge in my comics head, and that is um, the non-canon Batman Sins of the Father miniseries that happened a few years ago. Not a clue if that's at all going to be related. It's just what it made me think of. There are also a lot of really great moments of editing in this trailer to put together some very different clips in a smooth way, um, just going th rapidly through things. Um just very smoothly. There is news coverage of the Riddler um, that, that says at the bottom, scrolling by, serial killer live streams. So clearly that has gotten super out of hand. There is a brief clip of Batman seemingly leading a group of people somewhere with a red flare. I'm not sure if they're underground or just it's nighttime. And the last thing that I have to say about this is that the music is going to be killer. Um, I, I do have to rein it in sometimes when I talk about this stuff because, you know, from an outsider's perspective, I am very aware of how vaguely kind of cringy all of this, <laughs> all of this must look, but that's fine. Um, but goddamn, if the music is not universally enjoyable, it's so good. Um, Batman movies have had really good music pretty much always, so I'm glad to see that that's a trend that will be continuing. Talking about The Flash next. This, when I say The Flash, is not the CW Flash. This is the Flash movie that has been in development for a long ass time. Uh, but it does look genuinely exciting from the fandom director footage, footage director, Andy Muschietti, Muschietti compiled. I don't know how to say that. Uh, the updated Flash looks really good. The teases of Supergirl, played by Sasha Calais, and Batman, played by Michael Keaton, were honestly thrilling. And we saw a second Flash, also played by Ezra Miller, is going to be heavily involved. To cap it off, a shot of Barry examining the Batmobile as it hides under a tarp. We almost get to see what was definitely Keaton's old school Batmobile. It gets so close. Damn editors are too good at their jobs. <laughs> 
Um, and as a little back history here, this Flash movie is super loosely based off of Flashpoint, uh, which is a comic event from some decades ago. Sometimes I was like 2007. I don't know. Don't ask me what year it was. I only read it. I didn't pay attention to when it was written. <laughs> the main premise of Flashpoint uh, generally was that Barry Allen's Flash ran back in time to, uh, to the night that his mother was murdered by Eobard Thawne and stops her murder. But by doing so, he changes the timeline with a lot of unexpected consequences, including Aquaman and Wonder Woman being former lovers turned nemeses whose nations are at global war, and Bruce Wayne being the one who was killed in the alley when he was a child, causing his father to become Batman and his mother to become the Joker. Those are the main changes to the Flashpoint universe, so keep your eyes and ears and whatnots peeled for signs of that craziness as we go along here. In the trailer, some of the stuff that we get to see here, we'll just run through this. We get to hear a bit of Michael Keaton's Bruce Wayne. Um, we see two flashes, two different versions of Barry, pulling up outside Wayne Manor, with Michael Keaton on narration. Notable parts of his narration through the trailer include him talking about Barry being able to go to any universe and any time, and about how he changed the future and changed the past, both very notable points to Flashpoint. Um, it suggests that Michael Keaton's Batman will have a friendly, conversational, perhaps even mentorship role with Barry Allen's The Flash, but then again, which version of the Flash? We already know there's going to be at least two of them in the main portions of portions of the movie. I do find myself questioning the truth through this whole trailer because if you pay attention, you can really see them putting together clips from different times in the movies or in the movie, making them look like it's coming from the same scene. So there's a lot of trickery going on there, kind of MCU style, what they do with trailers. And I'm really excited to find out just how much of this is what it looks like. On that note, I would hesitate to say which Flash is which as well. I'm going to call the uh, the one that we know, the Snyderberry, because honestly, I kind of think they're pulling away from Snyder's universe as the main DC movie universe, and we'll make this Supergirl, uh, Michael Keaton universe, the new main DC universe. But theories are that since the long-haired Flash drove a taxi to Wayne Manor, as it would seem in that scene, he must be a taxi driver and therefore he's the alt-Flash in this alt-universe, uh, which the Snyderberry zooted to, zoomed to, <laughs> and therefore that is Snyderberry's new suit we see later in the trailer. When we do see Wayne Manor, it is a mess. Possibly whole wings are shut down. Possibly no one's lived there for years. Notably, Batfleck is supposed to appear in this movie as well, so that could really be his Wayne Manor in all technicality uh, in the Snyder universe where the Barry we know comes from, making the long-haired Barry the Snyder Barry. You see what I'm saying? How it could go two different ways? Either way, the cave is clearly long in disrepair and the Barrys have to kind of open it up again together. Barry's new suit, whichever Barry that ends up being, looks a bit similar, well, fairly similar to the Jeff Johns Flashpoint suit, 
When we see it, he's standing in front of his childhood home, very reminiscent of Flashpoint events. And later in the trailer, we also see it again in the Batcave in front of, or perhaps behind, I'm not sure, a waterfall, making me wonder if Bruce has anything to do with the new suit and its design and qualities. There is a clip of the long-haired Barry reaching out to a masculine hand, which appears to belong to an unconscious or even dead unseen figure. This could be his father, himself, or either of the two Batmen that we're waiting to see in the movie, potentially a death scene or with him stumbling upon a dead body. There's a shot of a Batman cowl with blood splattered on the ground. It looks to be more like the Batfleck cowl than the Keaton Batman cowl. The long-haired Flash has a moment where he checks on a potentially wounded or ill Supergirl dressed in normal clothes, possibly still at Wayne Manor. An unknown figure uh, spray-painting red boots with a yellow lightning bolt, which does feel a bit like a nod to those that Jay Garrick would wear, red boots with little yellow wings on them. Some of the theories out there are guessing that Keaton... The Keaton universe Ezra Miller with the longer hair supposedly could really be Jay Garrick, they're saying, who was an earlier version of The Flash before Barry shows up at DC. Um, we get to see The Flash ring, one of The Flash's main costume items from the comics. Um, the costume jumps out of it, allowing him to change into his costume at super speed while he is running. Um, we finally see a tease of the ring. Oh, my neck just crashed. We finally see a tease of the ring in this trailer. Um, but whether it has another function, we do not know yet. We also finally get to see a shot of what is likely Keaton's bat cowl from behind in the bat cave with that same waterfall across the room. It's not a perfect silhouette of what his then bat suit looked like, but it is far more, res more reminiscent of his than of Affleck's. There is a shot of Team Flash, what we're calling Team Flash. It is the Flash with short hair in the middle, um, and the new suit is presented in the center of the screen, flanked by Sasha Calais and uh, her Supergirl to the right and the longer-haired Flash to the left. The second Flash's suit seems to be much bulkier and less technologically advanced, with a yellow lightning bolt on a red black or uh, well, on a red background. Again, because of this, some people are saying that this is a Jay Garrick reference. The Barry in the middle, whichever one that is, asks, you in? Likely to Keaton, I'm guessing. As I said before, we almost get the Batmobile, but the shot goes to black as Barry pulls off the tarp. And finally, after all of this, I am definitely looking forward to this movie. It's going to be a fun twisting mindfuck of a ride, but that honestly sounds like exactly what we need from this side of comic stuff right now. Bring it on. Now we're talking Black Adam. Uh, for a quick and loose character overview, Black Adam is one of the arch nemesis of Captain Marvel, commonly known as Shazam over at DC. As he was originally depicted, he was a corrupt ancient Egyptian predecessor of Captain Marvel, Shazam, who fought his way to modern times to challenge the hero and his Marvel family associates. Since the turn of the 21st century, however, Black Adam has been redefined by DC Comics writers Jerry Ordway, Jeff 
Johns and David S. Goyer as a corrupted anti-hero attempting to clear his name and reputation. Featured roles in such comic book series as Justice Society of America, Villains United, Infinite Crisis, and 52 have elevated the character's prominence in the DC universe. Specifically, 52 was the story where we meet his wife Isis and learn the awful history of his homeland conduct, that it was destroyed, his family included. He was gifted the magician, uh, the wizard, the guy who gives Shazam his powers. He was gifted the powers of Shazam, became Black Adam, and went to take out his revenge until the magician, the wizard, whatever, traps him underground again for thousands of years, whatever, a long time. When he's woken, he's furious, and that's how we get all the villain dialogue. We begin the Black Adam section with a look at Black Adam, featuring a scene with the title character, who is of course Dwayne The Rock Johnson, being awakened from some millennia of slumber by archaeologist Adriana Tomaz, played by actress Sarah Shahai. Of course, her team of explorers came with an armed detachment, so bullets start flying and Adam literally calls down the lightning. We get to see Black Adam when he is first released from captivity in this ancient tomb type of situation, taking out a team of commandos by literally cooking one of them into a pile of ash after he crushes the bones. It sets the tone very quickly that this is going to be not much like the Shazam movie that we already know. The footage does look incredible, and it's becoming clear why The Rock has had such a passion to get the project made, because truly, he does a fantastic job of portraying an ancient, angry, overpowered god, ready to destroy whatever stands in his path of much-needed revenge, honestly. The image that we see of the movie's designs are truly fantastic. They are so, so much so honestly capturing the ancient glory of the city of Kandak. Heavily Egyptian-inspired designs, the city is full of massive stone structures, a pair of embracing statues literally straight from the comic book pages, overlooking the ocean, most likely. It's incredible and honestly awe-inspiring. We have also joining The Rock, we have Noah Centineo, as Adam Smasher, Aldous Hodge as Hawkman, Contessa Swindle as Cyclone, and Pierce Brosnan as Dr. Fate, who looks full-on British professor of archaeology with his white hair and goatee, which is exactly what he should look like as Dr. Fate. Nailed it. As for the future of the character and the Shazam movies, my personal theory is that the much more mature, mature, much more mature tone of the Shazam sequel, which I'm talking about next, will lead into the two characters intertwining in a fourth movie. If you're following Shazam, Black Adam, Shazam 2, fourth movie. So now let's talk about Shazam Fury of the Gods, which is the Shazam sequel. Uh, it unveiled a behind the scenes sizzle reel uh, with the Billy Batson actor Asher Angel confirming the end of principal photography. This movie is due out not until 2023, and I stand by what I said before of its hopefully tying into Black Adam. The return of Jack Dylan Grazer as Billy's best friend Freddy and an expand well, half brother or stepbrother too, right? Or foster brother, I mean. An expanded role for Adam Goldberg, who is Freddy's superhero personification as part of the Shazam family. We have Jermoon Hansu. I'm so sorry. Jermon Hansu. 
I'm sorry, will also return as the other Shazam who gave Billy the mantle in the first film. Um, that's the wizard or whatever. While the new stars to the world will include Helen Mirren and Lucy Liu as villainous daughters of Atlas, the goddesses Hespera and Calypso, who will be arriving in Philadelphia to tangle with the Shazam family. First looks at, at Mirren and Liu in their utterly villainous roles, garbed in a kind of red and black themed outfits, and then in kind of dark bronze warrior looks as they fight. Um, it seems they're going to bring a whole world of mythological creatures along with them, which is awesome. We have actress Rachel Ziegler is playing a role that is still currently unknown, but appears to be in some kind of romance with Freddy. Uh, I'm guessing based off of that, that she's going to end up being a villain. Uh, the costumes, as we already knew, have been very much matured since the, de the debut in the first movie. With the sister villains, this is expected to be a much darker version than the bright and fun first. Generally, watching their little sizzle reel, there seems to be a lot more action, bigger scenes, bigger risks, and a lot more larger-than-life characters. Again, making me think that it will match Black Adam's themes a lot closer by the time that comes out. And finally, Shazam himself does appear to get seriously injured on one side of his shoulder and chest area, uh, which will perhaps lead to the Shazam family having their bigger role in this movie. Aquaman 2 news. Aquaman of the Lost Kingdom offered some behind-the-scenes footage and a first look at Black Manta's upgraded costume. Uh, Eagle-eyed viewers will also spot a black variant of Arthur, who was played by Jason Momoa. His classic black costume... That was really not anything you had to pay attention to. It was announced previously. Patrick Wilson will star as Arthur's Atlantean brother again, Orm, as well as, unfortunately, Amber Heard, Amber Heard as Mara. <laughs> Yaya Abdul-Mateen II as Black Manta. Uh, he too will have a new costume. Randall Park as Dr. Stephen Shin. Dolph Lundgren as King Nereus. I forgot he was in that. That shit was funny. Uh, newcomers to the cast include Jenny Zhao, India Moore, and Vincent Regan. For the Batgirl project, Batgirl star Leslie Grace said that the character is a, quote, girly girl, but she's capable and strong and determined. She's sincere and wants to prove herself, unquote. Uh, Co-director Adil El Arbi also confirmed the character will have red hair and will use a cowl as part of her outfit, as opposed to one with just uh, the eye mask. Gotta say, kind of disappointing. I prefer the eye mask. Uh, the one concept image that was previewed simply shows what is basically just a silhouette of Batgirl and a Gotham gargoyle in front of a standard Gotham city, but somehow has drawn a surprising amount of criticism, and the only real reason I can find as to why is sexism. But in any case, it looks a lot like they'll be using the black and gold pre-rebirth, or rather pre-partway through 52, uh, <laughs> her de-aging uh, suit as inspiration. I don't like that suit. Everybody was like, oh my god, the new purple suit is so functional. I hate that suit. It's the worst Batgirl suit that to ever exist. Anyway, uh, the Blue Beetle Project. We have a quote from Blue Beetle screenwriter Gareth Donut Alcoser. Oh god, I'm sorry. 
He says, it's going to be crazy, but it also has feelings. It contains all that's great about Blue Beetle. Things like the scarab, Jamie Rodriguez's costume, and his family are all referenced as key elements by this screenwriter um, that he wanted to bring to the screen. He says... He's a Mexican-American kid who wants to be a part of this world, but he's hitting the same obstacles a lot of us face. Closeness of his family is part of what sets him apart from other superheroes. He has no way of keeping his superpower secret from his parents. I know there's a lot of Blue Beetle fans out there, so I'm really hoping that this is going to reach whatever expectations you guys have. I just want it to be decent for outsiders to view. Legion of Super Pets is an animated, I believe, oh gosh, I believe it's an animated movie that's going to be coming out on May 20th, 2022. It's going to be starring Dwayne Johnson as Crypto the Superdog, Kevin Hart as Ace the Bathound, and also having the voices of Kate McKinnon, John Krasinski, Vanessa Bayer, Natasha Leone, Diego Luna, and Keanu Reeves as unannounced characters. Titans, Zoom Patrol, and Harley Quinn at, at uh, what is this, DC, <laughs> whatever, Fandom, what am I talking about, will return for uh, new seasons all next year. Harley Quinn is going to return sometime in 2022, according to Kaylee Kuko. Green Lantern was conspicuously absent from Fandom. Uh, the show, which comes from Arrowverse mastermind Greg Berlanti, is set to star Jeremy Irvine as Golden Age Green Lantern Alan Scott and Finn Wittrick as 1980s fan favorite Guy Gardner, and sees the characters in their respective time periods facing societal issues and weird space threats, also featuring Jon Stewart, Jessica Cruz, and Simon Baz. Young Justice Season 4, while we were expecting this to be dropped in the first week of November, they actually dropped the first two episodes after the event, and I will be discussing them on Friday's episode B. Batman Caped Crusader is produced and developed by J.J. Abrams, um, and also the Batman animated series' Bruce Timm. And there's also executive producer James Tucker and Batman director Matt Reeves. Um, it's set in the early days of Batman's War on Crime. It will feature a version of the character who uses Bruce Wayne as a mask to hide his activities as the Cape Crusader. Um, it's just Batman, added Reeves, no Justice League. And because the series takes place so early on in his career, animated audiences will see him in a lower tech situation than usual. According to Tucker, we find him discovering these things. That means the viewers will, may see several iterations of the Batmobile and, quite possibly, the trial and error involved in creating batterings. Tucker added that as the series begins, no one trusts the Batman and vice versa. He also teased that some of the Dark Knight's traditional relationships may not form. Nothing is assumed in the series, he says. Tim and Reeves agreed the series will lean heavily into the 1940s noir style, but the character will be more modern in terms of inclusivity. Characters. Tim also added that the program will be overall more Batman the animated series than Batman the animated series. It's unclear when this will debut, but it will be available on both Cartoon Network and HBO Max. My Adventures of Su with Superman was announced as an in-production HBO Max project of a Superman animated series. 
Catwoman Hunted is coming out on February 8th, 2022, and debuted a new trailer. It's an upcoming DC animated movie featuring Elizabeth Gillies as Catwoman and Stephanie Beatrice as Batwoman. The pair must team up to take down the organization known as Leviathan, potentially led by Barbara Minerva, in exchange for clearing Catwoman's record. It looks like a fun, somewhat anime take on the characters. The voice cast also includes Jonathan Banks as Black Mask, Steve Blum as Solomon Grunt, D. Lauren Cohen as Julia Pennyworth, C- Kirby Howell as Baptiste, oh sorry, Kirby Howell Baptiste as Barbara Minerva slash Cheetah, Keith David as Tobias Whale, Kelly Hu as Cheshire, and Zara Fazal as both Talia Algul and Nosferata among other voice actors. So you can see there's some really, really interesting characters that they're pulling out of the woodwork for this animated movie. Um, I'm super curious to see how they're going to tie them all into this Catwoman story. Uh, We're also expected to get two other, at least, DC animated movies in 2022, which includes Green Lantern, Beware My Powers, and Battle of the Super Sons. As for Sandman... It received a little bit of recognition via the debut of Julian, oh wow, Gwendolyn Christie's Lucifer in a first look photo. The image recalls the Bowie-esque appearance of the the Prince of Darkness assumed in his first Sandman comic book appearance. It is unclear as of yet if Christie will keep the look in subsequent appearances or evolve like her comic book counterpart. Uh, Gaiman has clarified after the Sandman um, part of Fandom that it's going to debut on Netflix sometime in 2022, um, not 2021. There was a little bit of confusion on that. I do not watch the CW The Flash anymore. It's been a while since I have, but apparently he is finally getting his gold boots like in the comic book, so some people are very excited for that. And finally, uh, star of Naomi, Casey Wallfall, Wallfall, debuted a first look at the program in which she stars as a high schooler who discovers her connection to the DC multiverse is more staggering than she can imagine. And as the scene shown during fandom revealed, it all begins with a Superman sighting. Naomi is produced by Ava DuVernay and will debut on The CW sometime in 2022. That wraps up fandom. Let me know your thoughts and your takeaways. I am super curious what people think about this event. And fairly briefly, we're going to wrap up with Doom Patrol Season 3, Episode 6, titled 1917 Patrol. Rita ended the last episode by getting into the time machine. Well, we're starting this episode by having her travel through time in Laura DeMille's time machine. She's reminded of all the pain and sorrow that she's experienced throughout her roller coaster of a life, which we've seen a bit of before here and there. Naturally, she begins to cry, and as she's crying, her memories are purged with every tear. This means that when she arrives at her destination, Rita is a blank slate. Her destination was random, and she arrives in Iowa 1917, and before long is taken in by the Bureau of Normalcy, which is one of these kooky Doom Patrol things. After a man ahead of her is walking out with a folder that reads Weapon on it, who appears to be slightly cindering, 
Rita enters to find the Bureau's meta-recruiter, and it is the one and only Laura DeMille. After some inquiry exams, DeMille discovers Rita's elasticity powers and categorizes her as not a weapon. Not needing her as a weapon, she's assigned to the mailroom, where she uses her elasticity perfectly and without any struggles to sort mail from mail bins and pipes to boxes. Following a mix-up where she learns where she is and isn't welcome within the Bureau's bureaucracy <laughs> she, Rita begins getting closer to all of the other metahumans like Lloyd, Holly, Sachiko and Charlie Bear Byron who we saw in last week's episode or was it the week before that? Yeah, it was last week's episode. As well as the new character known as Malcolm. They are the Sisterhood of Dada. They all celebrate their uniqueness and play party games until the long hours of the night and Rita becomes especially close with Malcolm. The whole thing is surprisingly innocent. Later at their work, the Sisterhood of Dada have to come to Rita's defense and make a statement at the Bureau of Normalcy to stand up for them to not be treated as second-class humans. Before they feel the wrath of the Bureau's guards, though, Laura DeMille steps in, disguised as a guard herself, and rescues them as she pledges to always stick by the group's side no matter what. On the other side of things, in modern times... Down in the underground, Jane and Kay follow through with their plan to send Kay up to the top, which means that she will be in control of her body. It's, it may be the first time that the host child has been in control since she developed her personas. It's a very stressful situation, but for the most part, it goes pretty well. And Kay comes back and things are sh good, shaky, but good. The other personalities are clearly furious at Jane um, because they want to protect Kay and this is all very new and different. Uh, Vic turns to Cliff about the inner dilemma of his life's purpose but good old Robot Man is no help since he hardly ever gets to make the choices that he has in life. He throws money at anything that pops up in his computer uh, just basically just sits around playing computer games and when Lord Mill goes to him to get some answers about the sisterhood of Dada on the last episode's mission, he tells her that they are a bunch of wackadoo metahumans who all hate her and were violent towards Dubatrol when they uttered her name, as we saw again in the last episode. The episode ends with modern day Laura DeMille receiving a message from the sisterhood of Dada Piffle Paffle in flames. One of the old terms that they made up for meaning whatever really they want to mean at that time. So what we're left asking here is what the hell happened that broke up the relationship between Laura and this other the other members of the Sisterhood of Dada? She was clearly on the run and most likely took the time machine from Rita in 1917, stranding her now here. But why the split? Does she end up choosing her career over them? And what happens with Rita? She's just stuck there? <laughs> it's kind of sad, but I guess time will tell. We're about halfway through the season, um, and we'll talk about the next episode on next Monday's episode. But that wraps up this episode. The next episode will be happening Friday, October 22nd. It'll be called 38B, and it'll be featuring the comic book pick list, the Titans Season 3 finale, Young Justice Season 4, Episodes 1 and 2 discussions, another update of Hashtag Poison Ivy Watch, 
and hopefully Marvel in January 2022 if we can get those solicitations and other things out. Uh, the next MCU project we're going to be discussing will be Eternals after November 4th, followed by Hawkeye about five-ish weeks from today. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Sensational She Geek live from Yancey Street and whatever portion of the episode that you were able to listen to. Um, if you would like to support the podcast, again, do so by sharing it um, with people who you think will also enjoy it and to grow the community. But you can also uh, follow the link to my link tree at the bottom of the description for the episode and you can find ways to donate and I will be able to put more work into the episode as opposed to my day job. But again, um, all very voluntary. And thank you again so much for listening to whatever portion of the podcast you did. Um, It is quite chilly where I'm at. So bundle it up if you're cold too. Have some coffee, have some hot chocolate, have some tea. Um, I want to find a way to say do no harm, but take no shit without sounding as low-key cringy as that does. But take that vibe with you. Um... Today was a Bones Day. Please tell me if you know what that means. And we'll see you next. We'll see you. We'll see you Friday. This is one of my weirder sign-offs. Goodbye. Get sweaty.